This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. It is a modified version of the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Doug Brown is not in the studio with me today, but he is up in Clear Lake. Can we tell the world that you're in Clear Lake, Doug? Well, I've had nine cinnamon buns in three days, so I think it's uh, it's fairly well known, at least to the people here, that I'm here because it's, it's getting excessive now. Kathleen Nealon at the White House taking good care of you up there, Doug? Well, I haven't named her off anybody, but, um, you know, I just go there every single morning. It's part of the reason I'm here. Okay. You Mainly go, the reason why I'm you here. You go in there. The and only you, reason I'm here. I drop your name all the time, getting much better tables and restaurants <laughs> right now. When I remind them who I am, you can ask for Kathleen. Tell her that you're good friends with Greg Mackling from Minnedosa, and uh, her eyes will sparkle, and uh, you might get two uh, cinnamon buns for the price of one. How's that? Greg, I just have one question for mm-hmm. you that will really tell me everything I need to know and your listeners about you. Are you a regular maple or cream cheese guy? Oh, cream cheese, baby. Okay, that's good. That's what I had today. That a boy. That's my boy. Doug Brown joining us uh, from Clear Lake. He's on holidays. He's just making really a pit stop for seven days in Clear Lake on his way to Regina. The Labor Day Classic getting underway uh, Sunday afternoon. And, of course, uh, all the coverage you need is right here on 680 CGOB, starting at noon with Sports Sunday, Christian O'Mell and myself. And then we'll uh, we'll dovetail that into uh, Doug Brown, Bob Irving, and a cast of thousands to get you set up for really one of the absolutely biggest games of the year, Doug. It doesn't matter. We talked about it on the podcast last week. Let's just talk about it just one more time. The idea that regardless of the records of these two teams, it's always a good game. It's an important game. But now, arguably, the number two and the number three team in terms of uh, record and hotness right now, uh, the Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, in that order. Well, I think the most important thing for other team is neither team can afford to lose both of these games, right? They have to at least get a split, and obviously both teams would be very happy about getting that broom out and, and sweeping the series. So uh, very often, you know, this this game's a highlight of a regular season. If you're a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan, this game, these two games are, uh, you know, so much enjoyment, sold-out crowds. Just the passion for CFL Canadian football is on display. So it's always fantastic. You get all that energy. You get all that excitement. You get the buildup. And this year we might even actually have uh, a couple good games to go with all that uh, buildup. So it should be uh, should be excellent. And obviously anytime there's ramifications for the standings, it makes it even better. You know, it's interesting, the, the word coming out of Saskatchewan right now, is that, oh, they're the hottest team, you know, the Bombers aren't as good as their record. It's just, it's unbelievable. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you give them a couple wins, they totally blow it out of proportion. They think it means a bigger deal. There's no team hotter right now in the CFL than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the number of wins they put together. You, then you get that argument that, oh, well, Saskatchewan, the Riders, they're so much better now, you know, than the first game of the year for them, a second game, second week of the season uh, for the CFL, where Winnipeg went into Saskatchewan to beat them. The, the argument coming out right now is that they're a much better football team. Well, guess who else has improved, right? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have improved exponentially since their first, uh, I'd say, first three, four weeks of the regular season. Uh, I think they're the best offense, uh, really, in the CFL right now. They're putting up points like nobody's business. You can't get them off the field. And uh, I think they're coming together defensively as well. So if you want to talk about teams that are hot, that have improved, and that are playing well right now, hard for me to listen to any argument that says, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers aren't at the top of that game right now. Now, you've been on a boat all afternoon, so you may not know this. After going undefeated (laughs) through the month of August, three Winnipeg Blue Bombers were named as the Shaw CFL Top Performers of the Month. Andrew Harris, defensive back Maurice Leggett, and Matt Nichols were named uh, the league's best this month. Uh, Harris uh, being recognized as top Canadian, Mo Leggett on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, your team MOP, Matt Nichols, as the best offensive player in the league for the month of August. So I think that, uh, that seals it, right? The Bombers are the hottest team in the league right now. Yeah, and you know they're they're probably twice as good as they are on offense and they are defense. So they got they got two award winners from that side, and one from defense. So you want to talk about a compliment 
and uh, a nice spread uh, across the phases of, of operations for your football team, uh, the proof is in the pudding. And, and right there you got three guys. I mean, Matt Nichols has uh, managed somehow to elevate his game even more from what he did last year. Andrew Harris is chasing an elusive 1,000-1,000. And Mo Leggett, ever since he's got back on the roster and has got healthy again, has shown why he's such a disruptive. You know, every single game, you're getting some kind of changing play from him. Something dynamic, something explosive is going to happen as a result, as a consequence of his talents out there on the football field. So uh, that's a that's a great grouping of three that are really the faces of the offense and the defense and the reason why this team is playing so well right now and the reason why the Riders are going to have the hands full, even though it's in the most advantageous circumstances uh, at the Labor Day Classic in their home barn. It is the Clear Lake Cinnamon Buns edition of the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. (laughs) Doug Brown on the shores of uh, Clear Lake uh, talking to us as we record this podcast. And uh, Doug, you know, we've been talking about Andrew Harris all year and uh, the fact that Weston Dressler may be back and should be back in the lineup for the Blue Bombers. We've discussed the fact that it's been a benefit, quite frankly, to have him out, right? Because Nichols has had an opportunity to build some rapport and some chemistry with uh, Clarence Denmark and another guy who is uh, having an exceptional season, really coming into his own Darwin Adams. And and so the benefit of that chemistry making and now to have Weston Dressler coming into the lineup in Regina, where he played for a number of years, uh, this could be a magical magical elixir for the Blue Bombers on offense. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, if you look back to that week two game against Saskatchewan, you know, Darvin Adams, not really uh, not really a prominent guy, not a guy that had jumped off the page yet. A, a guy still trying to get in sync with this offense and with Matt Nichols trying to find his place in this offense and, and what kind of role and wh- what kind of feature performer he would be. And then Weston Dressler got hurt, and the onus was on Nichols to distribute that football and to let guys develop. And, and therefore, you know, they always say one person's injury, another person's opportunity. And the opportunity for the receiving core has really, I think, opened the eyes of both the offensive coordinator and Matt Nichols that, hey, look at the skill sets these guys have. What different ways can we use them in? How do we take advantage of this? And now that Weston Dressler's back, you know, you have that familiarity, that comfortability with those players, and you get a guy that's been sitting on the sideline that, it, you know, no matter what you admit as a player, it always eats at you and gnaws at you, especially if the team is doing well in your absence. So the fact that Weston Dressler now coming back on this roster, coming back playing against Saskatchewan, knowing how well this offense has been doing without him, expect to see a monster game from him as he proves, hopes to prove and establish uh, himself yet again uh, right away back into the fold of things and show everyone, hey, uh, you miss me as much as I miss you. Let me show you, you know, I'm not the forgotten guy. Let me show you what I can do here. Well, if his uh, football game uh, coming back is as strong as his golf game was on Monday, I golfed with Weston for 18 holes at the Blue Bomber Golf Tournament on Monday. He uh, he carried our team almost single-handedly. So uh, if his if his football game and prowess is uh, up to his golf standards, uh, the Bombers should be very pleased about that indeed. Hey, a former Blue Bomber and Kevin Glenn, uh, we all know what he did and almost did in 2007 for the Blue Bombers, uh, is really leading this uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider offense. They're scoring points hand over fist. Uh, the Blue Bomber offense, we've outlined what they're doing. The difference in my mind is going to be who plays better, the Saskatchewan defense or the Winnipeg defense? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, a counter and a good uh, matchup to watch. It just For me, you know, every CFL game starts and ends with, okay, let's match up your quarterbacks. And Kevin Glenn's playing very well right now, but I don't think anybody's going to take him over the play of Matt Nichols, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt is you're, you're getting that kind of offensive production from Matt Nichols, but without that risk of turnovers, without that risk of uh, you know ball insecurity, it's it's not there with him. He's so calculating, so methodical. He's such a great fit for this offense. You can see the development, the maturity of his play within this system and scheme that Paul Apolise has put together. And really the big difference between Matt Nichols and, and Kevin, 
even though they're both playing very well, both you know very capable in this game, is that you're going to get that mistake with Kevin that we're not really seeing with Nichols. You know, he'll take the sack knowing full well he's in field goal range. You know, he'll throw the ball away and not force it downfield. And I still think, uh, as well as Kevin's playing right now, you still get that one or two plays a game from him where he forces a ball downfield, he makes a bad decision, he puts it, he tries to place that ball where he shouldn't have, and it ends up costing his team potentially. So um, it starts with that. I totally agree. The defenses, uh, that's going to be an interesting comparison as well to see how they match up in this game. But for me right now, this Bomber football team, it starts and ends with this offense staying on the field, scoring all those points. The defense is just slowly and starting now to complement them. They're playing in spurts now. They're getting that uh, takeaway mentality back. Their their ball hawks are on point now in the secondary. And I think their four-man rush is uh, is really starting to come into its own. I see them developing every single week. I'm going to get a prediction from you at the end of the podcast. We're going to take a break now, and we'll play some of the conversation you and I had in the studio last week about the Labor Day Classic and your memories of which, and uh, we'll play that for you when we come back. We also have Jeff Courier, the former voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, bringing us some of his memories of the Labor Day Classic, Clay Young of 680 CJOB, diehard Rough Riders fan. We've got it all covered for you this week on the Blue Bomber podcast. When we come back, I'm going to ask Doug Brown. He doesn't know I'm going to ask him about this. What happened in the ring in Las Vegas this past weekend? How did a 40-year-old guy outcondition a 29-year-old? That and much more coming up as we continue on the Blue Bomber podcast. Greg, the Labor Day Classic in Regina is one of those events that I strongly recommend to all CFL fans especially those in Western Canada, to go to at least once. I think it's one of those things you really need to experience. We all know what a big deal it is and how much fun the Labor Day weekend games are, whether you're in Alberta, Southern Ontario, or in Regina. But the Labor Day Classic, and now piggybacked with the Banjo Bowl, that back-to-back weekend set, has become the real highlight of the year in the Canadian Football League, outside of Grey Cup. I think you can argue that the Bombers and Riders are the the centerpiece of the Canadian Football League for at least these two weekends in these back-to-back games. The Labor Day Classic in Regina is an even bigger event than it once was. When the Labor Day games first began and they really started to catch hold, it was perhaps the one weekend of the year, the one game of the year, when the Rough Riders could sell out Old Taylor Field and then some. And... In those days, before there were even end zone seats in one of the end zones, there was a kind of a hill there, and it was kind of derisively known as Hemorrhoid Hill, and they would actually sell tickets, and people could come and sit on this the kind of the grassy knoll in the end zone, and they would pack them in. And then they started to add extra bleachers as the demand for these Labor Day game tickets grew and grew, and it became a kind of a cultural event. People would come in from all over the province and spend the weekend there, If you weren't working on the harvest, this was your last chance before the school year started, before things kind of got back to normal, because it it doesn't seem to matter how old we get. The year does not actually begin on January 1st. It begins the day after Labor Day. And so this was the last chance for a big blowout, for a big party, and it never seemed to matter how good one team was or how poor another team was. The records never seemed to matter very much on Labor Day. It was more the event than the actual football. My first Labor Day game there was in 1986 when I was calling games for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And that year, the Blue Bombers had beaten the Rough Riders 56 to nothing in Winnipeg. And yet, the Rough Riders, who I think finished with only five wins that year, they had a bad team, and the Bombers had a real good team uh, back in 86. And the Riders somehow managed to pull that game off. With less than a minute to go, Joe Powpow hit Ray Elgard on a 56-yard touchdown pass, and the, the Riders pulled the game out. Somehow they managed to do it. And one of the side stories to that is that Elgard and Powpow, who usually got along well, had actually gotten into a bit of an altercation in one of the local bars. And I don't mean with other people, I mean with each other. That week, only days before, and yet they were able to hook up on that game-winning touchdown. And it was one of it was the highlight of the season for the Rough Riders because they'd had such a bad season. But they won the Labor Day game, 
And that's all kind of that mattered at the time. If you won the Labor Day game, you could almost stomach losing for most of the rest of the season, but you had to win the Labor Day game. Now, everybody in Regina wears green on game day, and everybody's seen the shots on television, of course, and how green the stands are and how much merchandise the Rough Riders sell. And it is incredible now to see the amount of green on game day, that this is a franchise that's a wealthy franchise now, but has had some pretty good years in the last 15 years or so, uh, winning a couple of Grey Cups, getting to another one. And this is now a proud franchise. It's not just the little franchise that could. This is a franchise that believes it deserves to compete with the big guys. It's not just happy to be there anymore, that they expect more of the franchise. And this year, of course, they're playing, especially in the last couple of weeks, playing very inspired and efficient football. So when I said you used to be able to just throw the records out, that's not the case this year. These are two good football teams. I know the Riders' record isn't great right now, but you're talking about a, a matchup that has more intrigue than just the event itself. This has got a lot of football intrigue to it as well. So I think the Bomber fans and Rider fans are going to be treated to a great event. And again, I recommend to anybody in this part of the country, if you ever get a chance to attend a Labor Day game in Regina, you'll have so much fun. The people there will welcome you. Even if you're wearing blue and gold, they'll welcome you. It'll be fun. Uh, they will uh, host you like long-lost friends because while it's a bitter rivalry on the field and, and sometimes off, it is a kind of a friendly rivalry at the same time that we understand that Regina and Winnipeg are the anchors of the Canadian Football League when it comes to fan support. And the true spirit of the Canadian Football League is most alive in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. And maybe that's what makes the Labor Day game and the Banjo Bowl so much fun and so important to the Canadian Football League. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Well, hey, it's the biggest game of the year so far. Why not make it the biggest podcast of the year so far? Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Bomber podcast featuring Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling, and I want to give you some tickets. Well, Doug wants to, too. 204-780-6868 if you want to see the Blue and Gold in person, courtesy the Blue Bomber podcast. This week's secret word in honor of Doug's love of cinnamon buns up at Clear Lake is cinnamon. Doesn't matter how you spell it. 204-780-6868. We want to send you to see the Blue Bombers in person, courtesy the Blue Bomber podcast. Don't forget to download, share, and subscribe to the Blue Bomber podcast. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. The incredible, the sterling pipes of Clay Young are an institution on radio and television in this part of the world. And what a lot of people may not know, a lot of people do know, unfortunately, Clay Young is a Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. How in the hell did that happen, Clay Young? Well, it's very easy. I was, I've been in Winnipeg, what, since the mid-80s? Yeah, but I the was, heyday of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Right. Uh, Dieter Brock, you know. Tom Clements, uh, John Huffnagel, yes. Sean Salisbury. Oh, we could go on and on, but um, I was born and raised in Regina. And if you're born and raised in Regina, the Rough Riders are God. You know, I watched George Reed and Ron Lancaster, right? And the, the biggest thing of them all is my uncle played for the Rough Riders, Andy Young. I didn't know that. Yes, Andy Young, and he was inducted into the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame. How about that? Tell us a little bit about Andy Young. I had no idea until you just told me now. Uncle Andy, he was a multifaceted player. He played hockey, and he played for the old Rough Riders when they were the Regina Rough Riders before they became the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And I was in my 20s when uh, I was told, you got to come back to Regina, because I was in Winnipeg by now. You gotta, uh, Uncle Andy's being inducted into the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame as a, as a Rough Rider, and I think he played for the Regina Pats. And his sister, my Aunt Toots, her name was Annie Margaret, but we called her Annie Toots. <laughs> 
She was a season ticket holder for 50 years. Isn't that something else? And let me tell you one other quick story. Tell me as many stories as you want, Clay Young. So this is back in the uh, this is back in the nineties, and I'm working at CKY Television, and I get a call. You better come to Regina. Annie Toots has had a horrible stroke. Oh boy. Yeah, very bad. So got some time off work. I went to visit her, and I go in, and she it was it was really bad. She was very outgoing kind of woman, you know. Gave you the shirt off her back for anything. I said, Annie Toots, is there anything I can do for you? And, you know, half her face was paralyzed. And she said to me, the, the Riders are playing tonight. Can you get me a radio so I can listen to the game? That's all she wanted. And I went looking all over that hospital. I found her a little transistor radio. Wow. Got it tuned to the station. Put it by her little nightstand. I said, there you go. Pre-game show is about to start. She was all happy. Isn't right? that something? So I come back to Winnipeg, and I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And I, I phone up the Ryder office, and I identify myself. And I say, hey, listen, can you do something for this lady? Her, She never got married. Her whole life was the Rough Riders, right? She worked for the Red Cross for 40-some years and had a big retirement the guy, I can hear the guy going, okay, I, uh, wh- what's her name again? Margaret Young, Y-O-U-N-G. I can hear him clacking away. Jesus, holy, she's, she's in ticket holder for 50 years. <laughs> Clay, Clay, don't worry. We'll take care of this. Don't worry. <laughs> so I give it a couple of days, yeah. right? Yeah. I phone back to the hospital this time, mm-hmm. the Pasqua Hospital. And I said, hi, can you uh, connect me with uh, Margaret Young's uh, floor or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Clay, right? And I don't know if you remember me. I was in a few days ago. My Annie Toots is in there. Oh, yes, yes, yes. How are you? Fine, fine. Anything unusual happen in the last day or two? Oh, yes. Dave Ridgway came in to to, to see her, and he, he brought, like, an autographed football with all the players' names, and he presented to her, and all the all the nurses were excited. It's Dave Ridgway. It's a, RoboCop's here. And you're, <laughs> Robo-kicker. Uh, Robo-kicker. <laughs> and, and your aunt wouldn't let anybody touch the football. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after that, sure. you know, the riders can do no wrong in my my books. You know what? And that's fair. Fair game, Clay Young. And I admire that. And I've told you this over the years that I, I admire how much you love the Rough Riders and how proud a fan you are. I mean, it's been an up and down ride, mostly up, right, in the last 15, 20 years or so. But there were some real oh. rough times at Taylor oh. Field over the years. Big drought that they went through. But, you know, the Rider fans have, have hung in there and they won the Grey Cup in 2013. And Don't you dare make it. I won't. I won't. I won't. But I'm just saying. Let me point out that when if it's not Don't. if if the when the bombers are playing, mm. I'm rooting for the bombers. I as long as it's not the riders. Okay. Can we put? Can yes. we make that yes. straight? Yeah, okay. We know. We know that's clear. Let's get that. And we straight know that's right true. Now. I can. I can vouch for that. I idolize Dieter Brock. In fact, I met him last year when he came into town. I was up in the press box. I was working in Brandon, and I was covering the game for CKLQ, and lo and behold, my goodness, it's Deet the Treat, and he's being interviewed, and I said, geez, Deet, could I just get an autograph? And <laughs> You're like a, a pic- kid again, right? Yeah, a picture of you and me, and yeah, Birmingham Rifle, ladies and That's gentlemen, right, Birmingham baby. Rifle. You got it. So- hey, you know what? We've had this conversation. Uh, you know, it's, it's clear as to why your personal connection is so strong, but there are a lot of folks that... Didn't have uncles that played for the Rough Riders. Lots of folks who didn't have relatives who were season ticket holders for 50 years. But there's a genuine love affair with the Rough Riders in Saskatchewan. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you when you you tell somebody you're from Saskatchewan, oh, you're, you're one of the green guys, right? <laughs> and it's always like when the fall comes around, the topic is, how's the harvest? How are the riders doing? Yeah, but Those, not necessarily in that order. And not necessarily in that order. And the one, can I leave you with one last quick story? You can, but I, you might, I might pry one more out of you. Okay. What, which one are you thinking? This is, um, I, was, I was at CJOB. This is about five years ago. I was in Brandon. I was at OB for four and a half. Then I went to Brandon for four. Now, thank goodness, you guys have taken me back. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, about it's five years. Hail Mary, Clay. Okay, uh, it was it was uh, my birthday coming up, and I've always told the story, right? And this is a true story, of when I was sixteen, my parents 
took me out to Gulf Steakhouse in Regina. You know, it's a big restaurant in town. And this was a big deal. And so we're sitting there, my, my brother and my sister and my, my stepdad and my, my mom. And I look around and I go, ooh, 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 Dale. I called him Dale, my stepdad. Dale, there's George Reed over there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, right. No, no, you don't understand. That's, that's the George Reed. He was already retired by then, but, you know, everybody loved George. And little did I know, my stepdad was a sort of a big wheel of the Regina Lear Post newspaper. Right? He knew George. So I had to go to the bathroom, little boy's room. My stepdad goes over and he said, Hey, George, it's my kid's 16th birthday. You know, he just thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Can you, can you go wish him happy birthday? Yeah, okay, Dale, I'll do that. Right? And then standing in the, I'm, in the, I'm standing in the urinal, and I can tell there's a figure that's now in the urinal right next to me, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Clay, I look over, happy birthday, and it's George Reed, and I just about fell over right on top of the floor well, at there. at least you didn't need to pee your pants. Right. No. I was already way past that. So anyway, I've told that story forever. Yeah, it's a great story. So I'm at OB, and my wife, Wendy... Phones Bob, because she, she, she loves that story. She phones Bob Irving. She says, hey, Bob, it's Wendy. Listen, do you know George Reed? <laughs> yes, Wendy, of course I know George Reed. You know, I'm from the Regina area, too, by the way. Oh, stop. Uh, okay. So he phones George. He says, hey, listen, it's one of our employees. His name is Clay Young. You know, I, a long time ago, you wished him happy birthday when he was 16 at Gulf's. <laughs> Would you do it again? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so... It's my birthday. I'm at work, and I'm in the recording booth, right? Red light's on, and I'm doing a recording. I'm interviewing somebody, and all of a sudden, the door opens, and the red light's on, and there's our program director, Kevin Wallace, and Bob. And they go, ah, are you busy? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I'm doing an interview. Okay. <laughs> Shuts the door. Thinking this is bizarre. Anyway, as I was saying, so tell me more about this. All of a sudden, the door opens again. <laughs> I look over, annoyed, and it's the two of them again. Um, you got an important call in the newsroom. I think you should take it. Okay, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, let me call you right back, okay? Okay, bye. I go back in the newsroom, pick up the phone. Hello, CJOB. Hey, Clay. George Reed, happy birthday again. And I just about that. Everybody was laughing. And I said, oh, Bob, thank you so much. And I was going, gee, George, you remember when you wished me happy birthday when I was 16? Uh, yeah, right. One of, one of my all-time memories. Fantastic so, stuff, yeah. Clay. So and, there you go. You know, and <clears throat> yeah, th those things, those memories are indelible. They're part of who you are, right? Yeah. And so we're never going to convince you to come all the way to the Blue Bombers. You mentioned the fact that you spent some time in Brandon, CKLQ yeah. mm -hmm. in Brandon. And I lived in Brandon when I was a kid, and it really made me angry yeah. that the Blue Bombers were the second most popular team in Westman. Well, you got to remember, we're about, in Brandon, we were about, we're an hour away to the Saskatchewan border, Right. And, yeah, it's, there, there's legion of Ryder fans out there. One time, uh, because we covered all of Westman, <clears throat> excuse me, I went out to see uh, the mayor of Boisevain. Great guy. His name is Ed, or, and Ed Anderson, mayor of Boisevain, home of Tommy the Turtle. So I said, Mayor, <laughs> mayor, I'm, uh, where should I meet you? Because we're going to do an interview about what's going on in Boisevain. You know, all of Westman wants to know. He says, well, meet me in... Uh, so-and-so restaurant. I walk in there, and I'm looking around for the mayor. It's dark. It's a sort of a bar, restaurant-type plink. And I look, and I go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And there's a, there's a picture right in the, on the wall next to the bar, Mayor Anderson with his arm around George Reed. I'm going, I don't believe this. And there's, Mayor, come here. What, what's it with this? And he goes, you're in rider country, son. And I go, oh, Mayor, I love you. Oh, Clay Young, I love you to pieces, but get the hell out of here. Okay. Bye, everyone. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Do you remember what year the Blue Bombers were 7-1 and one and the Rough Riders were 1-7 and seven going into the Labor Day Classic? Uh, 2000... I, uh, 2011. That was your last one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. And 
Uh, did the Rough Riders switch coaches going into that, or did they yeah, switch coaches they just coming fired, back? They just or? fired Greg Marshall, right? so, and they'd brought back their that old guy. What that was old his guy. Name? I don't even remember. <laughs> Saskatchewan trivia. I don't pay any attention to that whatsoever. Good. You, so, and, our, yeah. you, you and I are cut from the same cloth that Some way. old dude. Some old dude. That was uh, micromanaging uh, Greg Marshall anyway, so he might as well. You know, one of those guys that was kind of promoted away from coaching and, and couldn't deal with it, so he uh, screwed everything up, and Daring Durant didn't like being coached hard, and oh, it was horrible. Kerry Joseph wasn't on the field when he took <laughs> off and took a, you know up the middle. I think Darian Durant did the same thing. We had a guy that got cut for that, by the way, because we had, uh, we had uh, I was going through one A-gap, and we had a middle linebacker hitting the other A-gap, and he got cut off. He didn't get to his A-gap, and that's where Kerry Joseph went through, and they won the game. That guy got cut the next week. Who was that? I don't remember his name either. Isn't but, that something? Uh, yeah, I, I do remember the fact that he was not on the team the following week, so... I went and told my coach, I'm like, hey, man, just give me both A-gaps next time instead of having me just hit one, right? Turn your shoulder, hit one. You can't you can't make play in other words. If I, if I stay square on the center, I'm like, I can handle both A-gaps for the most part. But uh, we had a blitz. You were, you were forced to choose one? No, I was told which A-gap I was hitting, and I had to get up and, you know, because the linebacker's coming for the other one, but he never, he got walled there. He got cut off by an offensive lineman that got up to the second level, and that's all she wrote. Kerry Joseph, gone. Yeah, and that's one of those plays, right, that lives in infamy in Winnipeg and is celebrated in Saskatchewan. And, you know, it is a little bit of a friendly rivalry, but in terms of the fans, it can get a little nasty. How nasty does it get in the trenches? Uh, I mean, oh, in the trenches with mm-hmm. the other team, it's, it's for how we interact. It's Well, maybe they have a little bit more pep, I suppose, but, you know, if... In games where they were one and seven, and we were in seven one. It's not like they're gonna, you know, you have no basis or credibility to talk trash. So you better, you know, and these guys will still have a record that will be beneath you know, whatever the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are when they come in there. So you watch your P's and Q's when you uh, when your record says you're s- something different than what you are. It changes the 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 type of oh yeah of well, interaction. And the Labor Day Classic, we all know. Like I say, it's it's all in favor of Saskatchewan, right? Like all, everything is going, it's the magnified home field advantage game. So it's very hard to win there. And just because they win that game does not mean they're a better football team. They just, you know, they had they had Labor Day Classic month leading up to that and everything going on in the city. So it doesn't mean they're a better football team, trust me. Because you take them out of there, you play a playoff game, you know, uh, at your barn or in a neutral site in a championship game, it's not the Labor Day Classic, I promise you that. I'm trying to remember 04, that very cold November night when they scheduled the Western semifinal on a night. I think it was 04. You guys actually won in Regina that year on Labor Day and then came back and they kicked your ass on uh, Sunday or Saturday night on the Western well, maybe by semifinal. Maybe two touchdowns, maybe. Yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. that's an ass kicking, isn't okay. it, in the well, CFL? In your mind. <laughs> hey, you, you say whatever you want. This is what is, this is. This is opinions. Okay, how about this one? Uh, last one here. we got to give Kelly Moore some more fodder here. Uh, back in the day, I can remember uh, the, the Blue Bomber fans, you know, it started to come back. But back in the day, it was four or 5,000 back in the in the 80s uh, when the Bombers were winning Grey Cups. Four or 5,000 Blue Bomber fans, busload after busload. Uh, they got a little bit of a reputation for misbehaving. And so a lot of the Regina hotels started banning That's Winnipeg awesome. fans, which is why... The numbers dwindled besides yeah. the, the record uh, of the Bombers actually, in the I didn't league. I know that. Yeah, so Cal Murphy uh, would have the Bombers eventually go and play or uh, stay in Moose Jaw as opposed to staying in Regina because, of course, the Regina fans would find out where the Bombers were playing or staying overnight. Uh, I've had a few of those phone calls. Yeah, phone calls, yeah. the fire alarm, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. So there were no real, from the fans, no holds barred. Have you? Did you guys ever stay in Moose Jaw? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's a nice little spa out there. Very relaxing. I don't know if that ever helped whatsoever, but it was interesting because my first, you know, my first four years in the CFL, we won three out of four in a row, Labor Day Classic. We should have won the fourth. It, it wasn't for some guy, Rocky Butler, who pulled, you know, the rabbit, the rabbit out, out of, of his head. Yeah, and uh, we s- sacked him like seven, eight times that game, and somehow they still, they still won. So that was a fluke. But three out of four, three out of my first four, I was like, what's the big deal with the Labor Day Classic, right? And then we lost all the rest until I retired against even 
Saskatchewan Rough Rider teams that we were better than uh, in the regular season. But it's a special game for them, and uh, they they take that very seriously. So don't punch me when I bring this up. I know you're going to want to. But, you know, that this is the rivalry, obviously, for the Blue Bombers is Saskatchewan. And so you, you can win. In my mind, they could win all the Labor Day Classics. We could win all the Banjo Bowls. They could give win the rest of the Banjo Bowls if we could just have 2007 back. Because at the end of the day, right, you've been there when yeah. you've got some cock in your walk and the guy looks at you and he says, look at the scoreboard, asshole, because you're, you're, they're, they're beating you even though you just made a great play. But at the very end of it all, Saskatchewan has that, right? The only Grey Cup played between these two franchises. True. They have the banner. How much does that bug you? It kills me, Doug Brown. Well... Because it was 2007, I've I've moved past it a little bit now. But you know, if I ever if I I ever hear that, like, oh, where's your ring from 2007? We beat you, and I'm like, I'm like, do you honestly? I will just say to anyone in Saskatchewan, anyone on that team, any fan, I'm like, do you really think you would have beat us if Kevin Glenn had played in that game? Do you real? That was his best year ever in the CFL. And we would have handed it. We lost by four with Dimwitty, his first ever start in a game and in six, the Grey Cup. And six of those points shouldn't have counted. <laughs> Three turnovers, one that goes back for a touchdown, and a fumble. That was trapped. Yeah, in, yeah, exactly. In this day and age, that gets overruled on replay. So the way our defense was playing, there's, there's, if Kevin Glenn, and we talked about this, and Kevin totally, I'm like, Kevin Glenn, if he had his worst game in the Grey Cup, we still win that game, right? So... That was the football god saying, oh, Saskatchewan, you know, they're long overdue kind of thing. And they've only got three, I believe it was at the time. So here you go. Let's break Kevin Glenn's arm the week before, you know, and, and that's when they win that. Most any other player, any other player, myself, Milt Stiegel, anybody else breaks their arm. We still win that game. But Kevin Glenn. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a, a problem uh, defending my argument when it comes to that championship. I'm like, congratulations, man. You played against a guy that was out of football essentially the next year or whatever. <laughs> Great job, you know. <laughs> really pat yourself on the back. But, you know, same time they won and they didn't break his arm and it wasn't, you know... And they got a gimme, right? And they still almost lost it. So it just shows you how hard it is or was for Saskatchewan to win a great cup. Well, here we are uh, 10 years later, and the passion is still there when you have the conversation. And it's an exemplification of what happens every Labor Day. That's why I wanted to go down that road, Doug, because the, the memories are long and they run deep. Mine go all the way back to the 1972 Western semifinal. So, you know, this is just the way it is. And that's why it's probably, it, well, it is the best rivalry in the oh, yeah. Canadian Football League, and, it, and it's not even close. You can say all you want about the Battle of Alberta <laughs> and Toronto and Hamilton. I mean, these are these are two cousins who can love each other uh, outside of football game days, but for the most part, we are rivals at everything. Yeah, anyone who argues that the Labor Day Classic and the games between Saskatchewan and Winnipeg don't define it have never been there, right? So, like, I don't care... The Calgary, Edmonton, wherever, Montreal, BC. I'm like, really? Is that a thing? I, I don't know. Anyways, it's just not, if you're telling me that, you obviously have just never experienced it because I've played everywhere and I've watched all those games and I've been to all the cities. There's nothing like it. It's insane, right? Especially when the, both teams are good and, and or both fan bases believe their team has an opportunity to win and or they've trended in the right way over the last little while, then it, it gets heated, man. It's nuts. It is ins- it's it's college NCAA insanity out there, and it takes over the city, and it's so much fun. Hey, it's Greg for Doug and the Blue Bomber Podcast featuring Doug Brown. We want to thank you for sharing, downloading, and subscribing to the podcast, and we do that by giving you an opportunity to win Blue Bomber tickets, 204-780-6868, the keyword, the secret word. This week is Cinnamon, in honor of Doug's stay up at Clear Lake and his love of White House cinnamon buns. Cinnamon is the secret word. Doesn't matter how you spell it. 204-780-6868. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast. Everything you need to know about your Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought to you by a CFL Hall of Fame player. 
The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Subscribe now in iTunes. Doug Brown joining us from Clear Lake, Manitoba, on the shores of lovely Clear Lake in Wasagaming, Manitoba. It is the Cinnamon Buns edition of the Blue Bomber Podcast. And Doug, I'm going to ask you, had you some you had some time to think about this. How did that 40-year-old okay. man, Floyd Mayweather, uh, out-hustle <laughs> and uh, out-condition a 29-year-old in, uh, I can't even think of his first name right now, McGregor? Connor. Conor McGregor. Conor yeah, that, McGregor. That was the probably you. You got all these hot takes about that fight and and whether Mayweather toyed with them and da da da, so on and so forth. The thing that jumped off the page for me, the thing that was most surprising, exactly what you just said. How does a forty year old have better conditioning than a guy that's twenty nine? You know, and uh, the explanation, the answer for that, I think, comes from the fact you'll hear guys going to training camp. And they'll be in super good shape, and they'll be like, well, I'm not in football shape. And you're like, well, what the heck does that mean? It means no matter how much you sport-specific train for something, uh, how much you tailor what you're doing to really uh, pay dividends in the sport that you're going to play, until you actually do that sport, until you're running, catching, tackling, hitting, doing one-on-ones, playing against the run, doing drills and such like that, you don't really get that fitness from that sport. And it goes to show you a guy that's been in boxing for 20-plus years and that is just totally adept and his body is attuned and conditioned for those rounds, those three-minute rounds, 10, 12, however many it takes Versus a guy that's an MMA guy that's used to being able to rest, you know, when they get in trouble standing up, you can take someone down, you can lean up against uh, the cage. Different total physiologies between these two guys. And uh, it's just amazing to me that McGregor wasn't, with all that time they had in the build-up to this fight, he wasn't able to condition and prepare his body for the rigors and the differences mainly of a boxing match. And he got outclassed, and, and he wasn't anywhere near in as good a shape as, uh, as Mayweather was. So it's interesting. The weigh-ins, Mayweather was 149, was his weight. I believe McGregor was 154. He's talking about, oh, by the time the fight comes around, he's going to be 170. Well, that might have been counterproductive for him because mm-hmm. he, looked, he looked just absolutely gassed and, uh, and out of shape and, and uh, out of his element. Um, you know, anywhere after the fourth or fifth round, you could just see him de- on the steady decline and, and petering off. So... It was uh, quite shocking, you know, in a nine-figure fight like that, to see a guy that didn't even have the right fitness parameters about him and really to, to be matched up against a guy that's 40 years old and that just ended up taking the fight to him in the later rounds. I thought that was pretty embarrassing for McGregor is the fact that fitness and his cardio was the biggest factor in why he lost that bout because he looked great in the first three, four rounds he was winning a lot of those rounds. He was looking fantastic, but then conditioning and fitness got in the way, and and a forty year old took it away from him. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, blew me away. And it's that sport specific training, right, uh, that you referenced, yeah. and that idea of something that you've been doing all your life. I got in a conversation with Weston Dressler at the golf tournament on on Monday, Doug, about this whole idea. You know, I've played on soccer teams and football teams and hockey teams and 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 other competitive sports over the years, but there, there's something special about a football team, especially one that achieves something together. And I think, and Weston and I came down to this, there's so much admiration as cliquey as football teams can be, you know, between the offensive line, defensive line, the D-backs, the offensive superstars and whatnot, that can be kind of cliquey. But there is a respect. Uh, You know, Weston says, I look at a guy like uh, Travis Bond. Six foot six, six foot seven, three hundred plus pounds, and he's an athlete. Here I am, five six, five seven, you know, barely two hundred pounds, and I do different things. There is that mutual admiration for what we're able to do with our different skill sets and our different body types. Yeah, you know, this is just a factor of winning football games, right? <laughs> Trust me, it goes exactly the other way when you're a two and seven as opposed to seven and two. You know, then it's uh, it's uh, looking at everybody else in just different positions and figuring out why they're so bad at their job and <laughs> so on and so forth. So when you're winning 
everything is rosy, everything is great as a football team. You get an appreciation, wow, look at this offensive line, look at my quarterback, you know, run and take chances and look at the accuracy and look at the routes these guys are running and the yards after the catch. Everything's just fantastic when you're 7-2 and two and the system and the scheme is working flawlessly and your defense is getting off the field and they're getting turnovers. It's just, you know, it's rainbows and unicorns for everybody out on the football field right now. And the longer that continues, you know, guys get that appreciation. They just become even closer and they become, they bond through all this winning. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty special environment. I've been on a few teams uh, like this. And uh, like I said, you can't do anything wrong, even when you do do something wrong. We had the discussion about the Hamilton Tiger Cats and what they should do and whether they should fire Kent Austin. And something that I don't know if I've ever seen before, uh, Austin fired himself uh, from from his head coaching job and his capacity as a VP of football operations. June Jones is now the new head coach there. And one of the first moves June, uh, June Jones was going to make was to bring in Art Bryles, the former Baylor head coach, who has some experience with Johnny Manziel and more in particularly uh, Robert Griffin III, who the Hamilton Tiger Cats uh, have both players on their negotiation list. So there's been some conversation about Manziel. I'd not really heard anything about RG3 going to Hamilton, uh, but the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, for whatever reason, seem to be blinded by by Bryles and his lineage and his ability to uh, maybe connect them to Manziel or RG3 and totally forgot about the sexual scandal that uh, surrounded him and there was the reason for him leaving Baylor. What the hell were the Hamilton Tiger Cats thinking, Doug? Yeah, you know, I don't know whether they thought nobody in Canada, you know, we're not big NCAA fans up here. I don't know Baylor from a hole in the wall, but I do know how to use the internet and I do know how to Google search something. And, you know, it it doesn't take long for people to educate themselves on what's going on. And uh, by no means am I an expert of, of what happened with this coach at Baylor and so on and so forth. The thing that disappoints me about this whole situation is, they thought, you know, whether they were blinded by what he could bring to this franchise and how desperate they were because they're still winless on the season and they're trying to salvage something from 2017, whether that was their full mandate and they had their blinders on, who knows, right? But to me, the thing that is disappointing is that it just rings to me that they're not sorry that they signed this guy. They're sorry about all the negativity and the reaction that they got. They're like, oh, you know, I'm not, we're not necessarily regretful that we signed this guy. We're regretting right now the reaction, the response that we got from players, fans, sponsors, so on and so forth. And uh, it, it's all reactionary. It, nothing proactive here happened. And it, it's all been damage control. And I think that's the, the worst part, is that they didn't have an ability to step away from it or anybody in the league office, apparently, because I'm hearing, obviously, what's been reported is that, you know, the front office of the CFL was aware of this before they made the signing official. And it's all backtracking now. And it's all damage control now. And nobody ever had, nobody had the perspective that, hey, maybe what is the bigger underlying message that we are conveying by doing this? right now and it wasn't until they saw until it blew up in their face oh now we're sorry now we're very regretful we realized this was a mistake but it's not a mistake they are thinking because they signed them it's a mistake because of the reaction because of the negativity because of the criticism because of the economics of the decision that they made that makes them sorry and and regretful and uh to me that's the the biggest disappointment in this entire deal you know there are second chances uh i think it's a little fresh for that for Bryles, uh in my personal op- opinion I, I, and i also like apologies doug but i like a genuine apology that's scott Mitchell apology yeah. was was bullshit yeah I, I i totally uh totally agree with you you're apologizing because you got caught you're not apologizing because of the action you're because you're apologizing and it didn't go the way that you wanted or expected it to and that makes it disingenuous and i i, I totally on on par with you there okay doug you know uh are you seinfeld guy yeah of course even steven you know, Jerry always talks about even Steven, things just kind of bounce themselves th- out. Life is amazing. I just lost a job, and five minutes later, get another job, same weekend, same money. You know who you are? Even Steven. 
I'm even Steven. Okay. Because uh, you've been indulging in White House cinnamon buns all week. And while we've been yeah, doing the show. Day. Yeah, three a day. What are you, you're at nine now? Nine now. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yes. So I'm sitting here talking to you. Uh, my co-host on Mackling McGarry, Brett McGarry, brings me in a, a fresh homemade piece of apple pie. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. I wish you were here. <laughs> I'm glad you're eating it while you're uh Absolutely. This I mean, like I say, I got to balance things out here. Doug Brown, it's the uh Clear Lake Cinnamon Buns edition if you're just tuning At in. At least I got off my boat and put my beer down <laughs> and uh you know, got off the dock and did this, okay? I granted I'm sitting in my truck mm-hmm. uh right at the boat launch right now, but I'm yep. not putting shoving anything in my face. So. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just trying to catch up to you. <laughs> uh, that Andy Sandberg song is bouncing around in my head. I'm on a boat. Anyway, before we let you go and you get back on that boat, you got to give us a prediction for Sunday. Oh, bombers by ten! Holy crap! Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you the numbers. I'm going bombers by ten for yeah, sure. I'm no, so you don't tired to... of this. I'm tired of this Saskatchewan rhetoric. Oh, we're so much more improved. Well, guess what? So is your opponent. So. Okay, so you're gonna get mad at me if I say the bombers lose on the last play of the game. Yeah, they don't lose on the last play of the game, son. Have you not learned anything from this year? No, nah, they've, they've, so we'll they've done you it once. They're 4-1 on, on, <laughs> on the last play of the game. 4-1 on the last play of the game. And recently, they've learned how to close games out. Single overtime, double overtime, down by 12, down by 8, whatever. They can pull it out. I'm very – that's just it. You're looking at this game. You're like, okay, how is Saskatchewan going to win? Are they going to win by a lot of points? No. Most likely, not a chance. And then are they going to sneak one out at the end? Nobody closes games out better than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers right now. You're going to tell me those Saskatchewan's going to be more comfortable late in the fourth than this Bomber crew? I don't see it happening. Okay, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to the White House. You're going to get me one of those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're going to purchase one of those cinnamon buns with the cream cheese icing. You're going to wrap it in Another saran one. wrap. Yeah, and this bring one. And, and you're going to bring it back because I'm going to eat it right in front of you on the next podcast uh, when I'm right and you're wrong, Okay. Well, if you're right and I'm wrong, I'm going to eat it and not have anything for you because I'm going to be upset about that. So whatever. All right. Doug Brown, it's the Blue Bomber Podcast. Have a great time in Regina, buddy. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's fun to, to uh, celebrate victories out there. You know, so that's that's one of the things to stomp around town after the fact. Well, before you talk it up and you're like, oh, yeah, you guys are 500. That's fantastic. It's always good when your football team has a better, a superior regular season record and you have a chance of winning that game and you end up, we had a trifecta last year, right? Never had so much fun in Saskatchewan in my life. Last year they went out, they took care of business, snapped that seven-game losing streak that I was a part of, and uh, you've never been so proud of a football team. Hopefully it continues this week. Boy, I wish I was there to strut around Regina with you for the next few days. <laughs> Doug Brown, thanks for this, my friend. All right, buddy. We'll catch you later. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.